You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Well, hey, good morning. How y'all doing? Good. I'm glad, I'm glad you're here, whether you're here in person or tuning in online. Uh, I'm excited just to respond to that for a moment. What I love about Marcus's story, and I think it's one of the things that I love sharing these stories, is they're a reminder of when God prompts or moves us, there's something beautiful that happens that actually doesn't just impact us, but impacts the community. And that's what I'm really grateful for about Kensington and being a part of this community. We get to have an impact beyond our walls. And there's a scripture in 1 uh, Corinthians 3 where it said, I planted the seed, but God has been making it grow. Sometimes it's that step of faith to, to step out with whatever prompting you have and say, God, where are you going to lead this and allowing him to do so? And that's what we see in Marcus's story. That's what we see throughout our community. And those are what we're going to see in the stories that we're going to share uh, to the year end. And we're just so grateful that you're a part of it because we know that especially when it comes to your giving, your generosity, especially at year end, uh, you have choices to make. And we're just grateful that you choose to partner with us in that and having an impact. It's one of the ways that we love to move out both locally and globally regionally, and, um, and we're so grateful you're a part of the journey with us. And we invite you to join us in, because we believe we're going to continue to reach more people with hope and love and grace, both with physical needs and spiritual wants. So uh, excited for you to be here. If we haven't met, by the way, my name is Justin Warrens. I'm the lead pastor here at Kensington, Birmingham. And uh, I'm so grateful you're here today because today's a very unique day. There is a jacuzzi in front of the stage. I don't know if you saw it yet. Uh, but it's quite a, a special day today across all of our Kensington campuses. We are celebrating stories of life change, baptisms, and what happens in these stories, especially in the series that we have found ourselves in, uh, we have found ourselves walking through this, this series called Table Talks. And then the first week, we talked about how Jesus invites people to a messy table. He invites messy people with messy pasts and messy beliefs and says, you are welcome here to experience his goodness and his grace. And then last week, Jenny shared about the Sabbath table, this idea of God's design for us to, to have an intentional pace in our life and an intentional purpose. And when we slow down, because we're so caught up being busy sometimes, we miss what God might want to do in us and through us and in our community. And so today, we're going to talk about how Jesus flips some tables and how he turns over tables in our lives and what that could do for all of us, for our families, and for our community. And we get to tell stories of life change where, where the story purpose has been flipped. And that's what I love about today. We have an incredible celebration, but I want to share a little bit about my heart for this idea of flipping tables. Now, I don't know if you've ever run into an obstacle but uh, did you notice how with the first snow, everyone forgot how to drive? Right? Like, it was like, I, I, was, I was going out to a breakfast on Friday morning, and it was like I hit that brake the first time, I started sliding a little more, and then in the next five miles, I just saw car crashes at 7 a.m., just disrupting everything. Well, I don't know about you, but for me, when I got my vehicle, when I got my car at 16 that I got to use in my home, and I had the privilege of taking care of, um, I had watched a little bit too much Fast and Furious, and uh, my imagination started running, and I didn't realize the obstacles of what happens when you drive in the snow as a 16-year-old. So I'm driving along, and I'm imagining this epic move as I hit the e-brake on my Toyota Camry 1994 with a spoiler, right, in the back. It was beautiful. And I hit the e-brake coming around the corner, and it was at that moment that I realized I had no idea what I was going to do next. 
And as I started to spin out, I could not avoid the obstacle of a very expensive mailbox that I would ultimately run into and have to pay for. Did you know mailboxes can cost $1,000? I learned that. Sometimes there are obstacles that we run into that are our fault. That was my fault, my imagination, and all my expectation. But then there are obstacles that we will run into that maybe aren't our fault. I remember when I was, um, when I graduated from, when I was about to graduate from college, I had had my job landed since uh, November of my senior year. And uh, as I started to work uh, towards this company where I was going to travel around beyond this leadership group, move from, uh, from conglomerate to conglomerate, and it was this ideal job, and I was so excited. And then all of a sudden, as I started to meet people, I started to hear some um, things I didn't like, some character I didn't like, some, some lies and pr uh, uh, promises that weren't being fulfilled, and I, I decided to step away from that job. But here I am, about a month away from graduating, and I have no job. I've said no to all the other interviews. I, I am kind of in that moment of stress. Like, what am I going to do now? And I was really frustrated because there was this one company that I interned at that I thought I did a good job, but I didn't have an invite back. I didn't have an interview. There was no conversation. And then one day I'm sitting outside, I'm sitting at a caribou coffee. If you remember those, one of my favorite white chocolate mochas, just a, uh, just a moment for me. Um, but I remember sitting at this, I get this call from one of my old mentors, Baba, and Baba-san calls me up and he says, hey, Justin, I wanted to check in with you. I'm sorry we haven't called, but there was somebody who is not uh, desiring you to work here. It's like, oh, that hurts. And he's like, there's somebody who kind of was fearful if you got a job, they would lose their job because of certain influences or relationships that you may have. And I was like, but I, I don't control that. What I control is my skills, my talent, what I bring to the job. And he goes, that's why I want to create a job for you. I want to make sure you have a job. Can you come in tomorrow? And I remember in that moment going through the highs and lows of like, I didn't even know there was an obstacle there. And then you want to know how, when I met that obstacle, when I came up against that obstacle, I felt a burden, a pain, a hurt, a sadness because I felt like I was missing something that I deserved or thought I had earned. But when Baba called me up and he offered me this opportunity, I was so excited. The liberation, the hope, the air pumps that I was, I was doing in that coffee shop of excitement because I was given an opportunity because somebody else removed the obstacle. We've all experienced moments, obstacles in our life, some that we have chosen, some that we have caused, and others that we've been experienced felt like somebody else has put on us, ones that we've run into. And this happens in relationship, it happens in business, it happens in life. It happens in all different types of situations. And it even happens in the church. I know because I've heard some of the stories of people who've walked in and said, I feel guilt or shame. I feel this burden, this pain. I feel this, this hang up because of this, this that happened to me, this experience I had. And what happens when we find ourselves running up against obstacles, we begin to experience a desire for something more, a hope, a longing, a longing for somebody to break the obstacles. Sometimes we're longing for our own hearts to be broken so we could experience freedom from the obstacles that we have caused, the choices we've made, the habits that have plagued us. And then there's the obstacles that we hope somebody else steps in for. I know you can find yourself in any of those stories because you have experienced life. 
you have had moments where you have felt that burden of an obstacle that is stopping you from some desired future. And in the story today, Jesus addresses some obstacles that were happening in this community at some very significant tables. So before we dive into that, let me pray. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, we just come before you, just honest in the sense of saying there are obstacles that we've run into. There are obstacles that we've caused by the choices we've made, by the habits that we've been hung up by. And then there are obstacles that we have experienced in, because of others. Lord, we are praying. We are praying for your direction. We're praying for your voice to cut through the noise so that we may experience a new vision and new hope as we celebrate the new life that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, before we jump in, I'm going to take a moment and receive our offering. I just want to say this, as a, as a part of this community, one of the things I'm so grateful for is your generosity as you partner with us to have an impact beyond the walls of this, these four walls. As a community across all of Kensington, uh, we get to be a part of incredible stories that we are sharing right now in this season, but also the ones you're going to see today. Like, I want you to know, when you hear the stories of life change, you are a part of their story. You have been faithfully giving to this community, and you are part of seeing their life change, their story happen, and I hope it encourages you today. As our ushers come forward, there's a couple different ways to give. You can give online through a number of different opportunities, as you can see, or you can give in one of the, the bags that are being passed. And again, I just want to say thank you for your partnership in that. So we're going to focus on the book of Mark, chapter 11, and there's this somewhat known story, maybe you've heard it, about tables and Jesus. Maybe you know it as the story where Jesus flips some tables out of anger, and people are really excited that Jesus gets angry. It's like one of those things that I've heard is like, yes, Jesus shows passion, which I think he's showing in this, absolutely. But one of the things that I think we miss in it is why. We miss the reason, the context for Jesus' passion in this moment, and his and his desire for people to experience love in a new way. And so when we look at this story, I hope you see it through new, new lenses, new eyes, and see what Jesus is truly passionate about. Now for some context before this story, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. He's walking into Jerusalem, and if you've been a part of the church, maybe you know what is called Palm Sunday. It's the week before Easter, and it's this point that is celebrated where Jesus is entering Jerusalem, and people are laying down palms as a celebration, like this is the guy that we have been hoping for. This is the Messiah that we have been looking for. And they are excited because like, this is the king, especially in that day and age, that is going to overthrow the Romans, that's going to overthrow the pain and the power and the suppression that is happening in their lives. The Israelites are under the rule of the Romans at that time. And they're like, when is somebody going to come and liberate us? And they're like, Jesus is it. He's bringing his kingdom. They have their expectations and their desires for what he's going to do. But Jesus, one of the things that happens over and over again is Jesus would show that his kingdom looks very differently, different than most people's expectations. So they're in this moment where they're laying down palms and saying, yes, the king is here. But they think he's going to come with a type of power and force that's going to overthrow the government with strength. But Jesus comes in a very different way. He enters into this moment with an upside-down vision of what his kingdom looks like. Here's some of the famous descriptions of what his kingdom looks like. Those who shall be last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Jesus, before this moment, is laying out a vision of what his kingdom, what his love, what his grace is like. 
And he says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's talking about a sacrificial type of kingdom. He says, it's not the healthy, we talked about this in the first week, not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus is saying, I'm not coming for people who, who have it all together and don't need anything. I'm, co- I'm coming to this world to offer hope in a way for those who are willing to admit that they're a little messy, that everything isn't perfect. He's, he comes to the world for all of us, to invite us to experience a different type of kingdom. He's doing this in a way where he offers a greater perspective, a greater truth, and a greater hope. And sometimes when we place expectations on Jesus of how we want him to be, how we want him to act, how we want him to lead, we miss what he's trying to do. And he's going to flip our beliefs, our theology at times, our expectation, and he's going to flip the obstacles that we have placed for ourselves and for others so that we may all experience the fullness of God. So Jesus is walking into Jerusalem being celebrated and then this is the moment that he does as he enters into Jerusalem. Verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, so as he's doing this, he said, is it, not, is, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teachings. Let's break this down a little bit, and, and, and why is this so significant? First and foremost, we see Jesus flip the tables. He flipped the tables of what was going on in these courts outside of the temple. And we look at the context of why he did. We're going to look at a couple different things. One, it talks about Jesus entered the temple courts. Now, if you, if you follow, uh, maybe if you know this as you looked at scripture before, maybe you've heard this, there were multiple courts for different people. A first century uh, writer and historian named Josephus, he mentions these four courts. There was the outer court, or what was called the Gentile court, that was open to all people, foreigners included, and some women were, uh, were allowed and some women were not. We're not going to get into that just today. The second court was open to all Jews and women who were clean, the, those who were allowed in that season of life. And then the third court was limited to male Jews who were clean and purified. And the fourth court was limited to priests robed in their priestly garments. So these four courts, starting with the Gentile courts, are the furthest one from the most holy place in the Israelite belief. Their belief that the most holy of holies, the center on the temple where God's presence rested, the outer court was considered the Gentile court. And if you were not a Gentile, you could come into the third court. And if you were a a, a very clean uh, male Jew, you could come into the second court. And if you were a priest, you could get closer and closer to the temple. There were these barriers that would be lined up that would say you would not be able to get into that place. So based on maybe your upbringing, your class, your purity level, your ethnicity, you had different experiences. And Jesus enters into this moment. And he starts to address it because then he goes after the money conversation here. 
And so money at this time was being used to exchange because people would travel long distances for celebrations. So they would bring their money and exchange it for temple money, the acceptable temple money that was available in that. And they would use that money to buy certain sacrifices as a part of their community. The way that they felt like they got closer to God was to sacrifice animals. And because they were traveling from so far, they couldn't bring all the animals with them. Even Josephus said uh, around 60 A.D., for a Passover, there needed an estimated 250,000 lambs. That's how many needed to be available. So people would be exchanging for these items to sacrifice so that they could be clean and present that to God and be in bright relationship with him. But that's not why Jesus is overturning it. See, one of the groups that was in power is this group of Sadducees. They're Israelite religious leaders. They're the ones who wanted to kill, who wanted to take down Jesus afterwards, who felt threatened by him. These Sadducees were taking a little bit extra money and giving a little bit to King Herod. What happened with these money changers is it wasn't being used for what they all desired. It was actually being used to fill the pockets and build the extravagant things. It was this painful kind of exchange. So Jesus enters into this moment and he sees the barriers that are happening in the Gentile courts. This is where this would have happened. He's seeing people being pushed back from being able to experience the presence of God. And he begins to remove the obstacles that are there and increase the opportunity for people to experience God's presence. And this is what Jesus does over and over again. In one story, we know that Jesus goes to this woman at the well who's considered an outsider because she was not fully living a lifestyle that she should have been living and she was considered a half-breed. So while everyone avoids her, Jesus goes to her, honors her, and invites her to the story of following him. Jesus would go to the, talk about the foreign widow and say, you are invited to the table. Where there are these obstacles, Jesus starts flipping the obstacles in people's way and inviting people to the table over and over again. I love how Danielle Strickland, she's an author, pastor, and advocate. I had a chance to sit with her a couple of years ago, and she said this that I'll never forget. She said, Jesus goes out of his way to get in the way. Jesus goes out of his way, the way that he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to address the situation in the temple. He doesn't need to go out of his way to the woman at the well. He doesn't need to go out of his way to speak to people that he speaks to, to, to embrace people who are, who are sick that, that people won't touch or won't go near. He goes out of the way to get in the way so that people can experience love and hope and grace. Have you ever had a person who went out of the way to serve you in a way that was powerful? Maybe somebody lent you a car when you needed it. Somebody took you out to dinner and offered wisdom. Somebody mentored you. When Jenny and I, uh, when we were uh, helping lead in high school and elementary school here years and years ago, one of the things that, uh, that we, we didn't quite have the funds to do very often was go out on a date night. And uh, two reasons. I don't know if you know this, babysitters are expensive. Right? Like, I, there was one point, I, was, I remember one of the girls in our youth ministry at the time, she was like, yeah, I make $20 an hour. I'm like, you're making more than I make. Like, I need your job. Can we trade? Right? And, and in this moment, I'm like, we just kind of lost the ability to go on date nights regularly. And we had young children at home, and, and as nervous parents, I don't know if anyone else has been a nervous parent, they're like, is this other person going to take care of my child? Yes, they'll be fine. But do you believe that? No. 
because only you can, right? So we had that moment, and, and so I remember some of the girls in uh, one of our, the small groups in Edge at the time said, hey, four of us would love to hang out with your children so you can go on a date. And I'm like, I can't, I can't afford one babysitter. I can't pay four of you to sit at my house. They're like, no, no, it's on us. We just want you to go out on a date. Overwhelming. Something so simple. But it was something that we needed. When somebody goes out of their way to get in the way, even when we're kind of like, no, no, I don't need it, but you're longing for it, doesn't it mean something so beautiful? Somebody has opened up their house to you and invited you in. Doesn't it mean something so unique? When somebody goes out of the way to get in the way, you feel a deep sense of love, appreciation, and grace. Maybe that's what Jesus is calling all of us, is, is he flips the table. He's inviting us to consider, what does it mean for me to go out of the way to get in the way, to love and serve people? What kind of community would we create if that's how we treated humanity, friends, strangers? I think when we look at the truths of what Jesus is doing when he's flipping tables, he's teaching us some very powerful things that could transform our thoughts, challenge our actions. I want to share a few of them, and maybe they, you start wrestling with some of these. Jesus flips the table in this moment to remove obstacles who, for those who feel like outsiders. Somebody goes out of the way to get in the way to make you, when you feel like an outsider, to be included in. A simple act of kindness to be drawn closer into the conversation. This is what Jesus is doing in a very powerful way. He's flipping those obstacles, saying those of you who feel like you're foreigners and aren't allowed to be close... Come closer. Come closer. When he wrote, when he responded as he was teaching, he said, it is not written that, is it not written that my house will be called a house of prayer? For who? For all nations. He's saying this in the Gentile courts where he's saying, there are these barriers that you can see. He says, my house will be called a place of prayer for all nations. All are invited. And he's referencing this Old Testament scripture called Isaiah 56, where it is a scripture surrounded around the salvation and justice and invitation to those who are considered foreigners and outsiders around the community. They are invited to become a part of the community. It says this, their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted at my altar. When you feel like you're an outsider, you are invited to be an insider because you are invited to experience what all nations are invited to experience. You're invited to experience my presence no matter your story. When I hear this, I think of my friend Hutan, who's going to share his story up here. He's sharing his story about feeling, stepping into a community uncertain of if he's invited. And as I've heard his story, as I saw it unfold, it was an invitation to come close, to not feel like an outsider, with questions, with doubts, but to feel like you can experience the presence of God. That's why I love baptisms, because they are a reminder of the obstacles that have been removed for all of our lives. At some point, in some place, you felt like you were outside, and when you were invited in, something different happened. And my invitation to you is to never forget that feeling. Say, how do I invite others into what I've experienced? How do I not 
keep people on the outside, but how do I invite them closer? The second thing Jesus does is he flips the tables to remind the insiders of what matters. Saying, this right here, this table that's in the way, these obstacles, charging people extra money for things, like that isn't what my kingdom is about. That's not my heart. I want people to experience my grace and my love and my hope. He's, he's challenging these religious leaders to say, don't put these obstacles in this place, but invite people close, because guess what? And he reminds them, he goes, I've been about this in the Old Testament, which you have read, which you have memorized, which you teach people, and I'm about this today. I want to remind anyone who has experienced the kingdom of God about what matters. Grace matters. Mercy matters. Joy matters. When we step into relationship with one another, matters. Jesus is flipping the tables in this very significant moment to remove obstacles for the outsiders and to remind the insiders about what matters. He's telling people to go out of their way, to get in the way. And then ultimately, ultimately, Jesus flips the tables to refocus on the heart, which is himself. You know what? I always think about the church. One of my hopes, one of my dreams is people would look at the church that gathers together and almost go, why are you all here? I know it sounds weird to say it, but think about it this way. What is it that all of you, with your different backgrounds, with your different experiences, with your different past, with your different burdens, with your different frustrations with the world, with your different levels of exhaustion, why do you gather together? And simply, Jesus. We gather together because at some point, Jesus has invited us to experience his grace and it transformed our heart. At some point, Jesus has forgiven me, so I forgive others. At some point where I felt like an outsider, I was invited to experience your goodness and your grace. I want to be a part of that. At some point, the reason why we gather isn't because we figured it out. We're messy. We're messed up. We're all there. We're exhausted. We're frustrated. But why do we gather? Because Jesus has invited each and every one of us close. And so we kind of are just taking a step on the journey together, saying, what do you know that I don't know? What can you teach me that I, that I haven't understood? And how do we grow together in grace, in hope, in love, and in mercy? That is the only reason. And when that is the reason, when that is the heart, Jesus is saying in this moment, my house will be called. I am creating a community, a community of people who gather together, all nations, because I want people to experience a more free and fruitful life. I want every person to experience more hope and more grace. It's why in Romans it was said this, this is the vision. Like Jesus enters in and people think he's coming in as this king who's going to overtake the community, the Romans, in a certain type of way. And he decides to do it differently. He decides to do it through sacrificial love. Romans 5.8 says this, God demonstrated his own love for, this, for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still messed up, while we still didn't have our lives together, today, tomorrow, yesterday, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't come because you were perfect. He came because you and I have brokenness, and he's inviting us to journey together. Jesus would flip their perspective of the kingdom, not with 
political or physical power, but with spiritual and sacrificial love. That's what changed the dynamics of the relationships moving forward, is that he was willing to lay his life down. That's why in 2 Corinthians, Paul, who was infamous for his hate towards Christians, he was infamous for going after Christians, and his entire story is flipped. He, was fam- he became one of the most famous followers of G- Jesus, has written much of the New Testament. This is what he said. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has experienced his grace, if anyone has been... Uh, transformed by his forgiveness as anyone has has experienced a glimpse of his mercy you experience new and it begins to take the things that we've wrestled with the habits that we've we've kind of held on to the the obstacles that we've allowed to live in our lives and it begins to break them he flips them and says that's not the way i want you to live i want you to go out of the way to get in the way i want you to go out of the way to offer people exactly what i have offered a sacrificial love That is why I love baptism. I love baptism because baptism is the story of lives being flipped. Where there was a a lack of purpose, where there was burden and baggage that's been holding somebody back. Baptism is the reminder that God has met a person in their story, in their brokenness, in their messiness, and he begins to flip their purpose, flip their grace, flip their love, and invite them into something much more beautiful. Jesus begins to flip our lives in a way where we see hope, we see love, we see grace, we see mercy different. And we see ourselves in the greater story differently. Because a flipped obstacle, I believe, becomes an invitation. A flipped obstacle, something that used to stop people, your story, your experiences, become an invitation to people to experience the hope that you have experienced. So I want to ask you a few questions for you to process as our band is going to come up and we're about to start with baptism. What obstacle, as you've been hearing this, what obstacle is God flipping in your life right now? What obstacle, maybe a choice that you've made, a habit that you've been holding on to, a belief that has been limiting you from experience more of God's grace and his goodness, what is the story that Jesus is flipping that he wants to overturn if you allow him? What is the story that he's trying to transform in your heart? And say, you don't have to live there. You don't have to sit there. You don't have to stay in this place, this cement that has held your feet captive. I want to flip the narrative so that you may experience the grace that you've been longing for, the peace that you long for, the purpose that I've designed you for. What is that? And then I want to ask you this. Who is he asking you to go out of the way to get in the way? Who is Jesus saying, there's an obstacle for your friend, for your neighbor, for your coworker, There is an obstacle for the person in your life that you've been praying for, that you've been longing for for them to experience grace as you've experienced grace. The person that you've been praying for. How is Jesus inviting you to go out of the way to get in the way and experience his peace and experience his grace and experience his hope?
How is Jesus trying to flip that obstacle in their life and you get to be a part of it? One thing I want to end with is this prayer. It's a prayer of, of peace by St. Francis. And it's this beautiful prayer. If you grew up in a more traditional environment, maybe you've prayed this before. Maybe you don't remember all of it, but maybe you've heard of, of St. Francis of Assisi, and he's one of the most powerful thinkers and writers, and, and, and kind of he just lays out a foundation of living. And he flipped the expectations of people. He flipped their purpose. He flipped what it meant to, to follow God. And here was this p- prayer that he had. And maybe for some of you, you can read it quietly with me. Maybe you just allow these words to offer you hope, offer you a vision of when God flips our beliefs, how we can be an instrument. I love the opening line. The prayer says, make me an instrument. So how is God making you an instrument for his presence and his peace in other people's lives? Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is error, truth. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive, it is in the pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in the dying that we are born to the eternal life. Amen. May we be an instrument that flips the purpose and peace in people's lives as we draw closer to Jesus. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.